Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Oh, yeah, you filled the hole. I was going to make a joke about how um, you uh, were... T- so here's a, here's a principle, just not to make you guys all self-conscious, but wherever I tend to look, space will open up. And so if I tend to just sort of orient this way, there will be a big space that opens up. And that's exactly what happened this morning, right here. And Nathan was like, you tend to look right there. And so anyhow, just a principle. It's funny. It's funny to observe it as a, as a pastor. Um, kids going to need your help this morning. So I have a question. I want to start with a question. If you could ask for anything in the whole world, what would it be? All right, Ian, go. What? The world. Whoa, we had an ambitious kid over here. <laughs> Little Napoleon. All right. Yeah, Adelaide? A unicorn. That would be cool. Very cool. Lucy? Huh? A dolphin. Your own dolphin. Where would you keep it? In the sea? (laughs) Okay, all right. You got another one, Adelaide? What you got? I couldn't hear that. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that he, he wouldn't have to have fake teeth. Mm. I understand. Well, that's a good thing. That's your thing. Other people. That's great. That's great. Um, all right, adults, if you had one thing, if you could ask for any one thing, what would it be? If you had a genie in a bottle, if you had Aladdin's lamp, yes, this is a trap. World peace. I actually wrote that down as a joke, just in case nobody said it. Oh, by the way, do you like my awesome bracelets? They got added to my, uh, my wardrobe this morning. World peace, a million dollars, but why stop at a million dollars, right? Car, house, what'd you say? Well, a billion, how about a million Bitcoin? I mean, let's go. Let's get serious here. Um, what would you ask for? I was just, Amanda and I were just talking yesterday about how we already want a new house. <laughs> I, we have no yard and not much driveway and summer's coming. And it's just like, and our house is really nice open floor plan, but that makes it really loud with seven kids. It's like, they're, you know, we're happy with our house. God's provided for us. But man, um, what would you ask for? A husband, a wife, a child, a thriving, well-established, uncompromised Church of the King. World peace, that's where it is in my notes right there. That's the joke. I, I should have known you would have beaten me to that, so good job. Anything a little deeper than that? Can you remember anything like as a kid or at any point in your life that was just like, Man, more than anything in the world, you wanted that. Um, I have uh, uh, the pastor of our sending church, senior pastor of our sending church, when he was four, used to pray a prayer every night, four or five years old. Prayer would be that God would raise his brother Danny from the dead. Anything like that in your life? 
When I was a kid, I spent a couple years of my life constantly praying that my parents would get back together. We went to First Southern Baptist Church, and uh, back in those days, not anymore, they used to teach that it was special to come forward and kneel at the altar to pray. So I remember as a kid, five, six years old, by myself walking up and kneeling and praying at the altar for my parents to get back together. Never happened. God did something different. God did something better. Have you ever done anything like that or felt anything like that? Something that deep and visceral and real that you really, really wanted. Today we come to a passage that's been used and abused and misunderstood by lots of people and caused lots of people a lot of pain. Because it doesn't mean what people want it to mean. It means something better than what people actually want it to mean. It means something beautiful and something real and something more generous and something more lavish than what people want it to mean. But sometimes that can be hard to see. So let's read it. Matthew chapter 7, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high in this city as it's proclaimed not just here, but in churches all across town. We pray that you would make your ministers faithful to you, and that you would work in power by your Holy Spirit to cause growth and change and newness of life in Christ. Thank you for the YMCA and our ability to partner with them. Pray that you would be with Grant as he seeks to expand the ability of the YMCA to be a force for Jesus in this community. We pray for Bart and Anna as they continue to prepare for marriage. Pray for Ian and Zach and Will and Caroline and Josh as they prepare to embrace something new and wonderful and scary for them. Pray for Jacob as he continues to heal, that he would have faith and trust you. Pray for Nathan and Meredith as they continue to adjust to being new parents. For Eli as he goes to basic training this week. For Megan as she travels to visit her grandma. For Cynthia and Kira and Seth and... Musa, as they finish up the school year and start summer jobs and summer plans, and for Amanda and Kira as they care for the kids this morning, pray that you would be at work through their teaching and that you would be with us this morning, that you would humble our hearts before you, that you would convict us of sin, and that you would give us faith to walk in newness of life and to be obedient to your word. Help us, help me. May the meditations of my heart and the thoughts of all of us here be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, said it's a passage that's been used and abused. How have you seen it used and abused? 
people use this kind of passage all the time to try to turn God into a genie, right? Right? Rub the lamp or a vending machine. And they also use it to oppress the poor and the weak and the needy. People who lack worldly success or have great sadness in their lives because if you ask and don't receive, if you seek and don't find, where's the problem? The problem's with you and it's with your faith, apparently, right? If you don't measure up to my standard of success, then obviously something's wrong with you. You're not asking or you're not asking with faith. So it's used to oppress people who have difficult things in their lives. And it's not complicated how that happens, right? Everybody wants to be happy. The problem is we all want to be happy on our own terms, and we all think we know what it means to be happy, right? But here's the thing. This entire sermon is about what? It's actually about how to be happy. How did it start? It started with the Beatitudes. Blessed is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Happy is the man who is poor in spirit, who mourns, who's meek. The Beatitudes, those inward attitudes of the heart. But I just recited some of them, and they're not what you would think when you think happiness, right? Poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the Sermon on the Mount goes on from there. And the undercurrent throughout it is, well, if you want to be truly happy and truly blessed, it can never be on your own terms. It has to be on God's terms. You think you've been told, you bought into the lie that serving your unbridled passions will make you happy. And if you could just run wild with your passions, with no interference and nobody standing in your way, that would be it. That would be the life. Jesus says, no, that doesn't lead to happiness. That is the definition of slavery. You're slave to your passions. And it leads to emptiness and misery and ultimately to condemnation. Letting your anger run wild, letting your lust burn, Satisfying your wandering heart outside of marriage. Speaking lies. Your schemes of vengeance, your need to get what's yours. Your stone-hearted, self-serving desire to only do good to people who are going to be able to pay you back. It's all slavery and emptiness leading to misery, condemnation. And so is living for the praise of men instead of living to please your Father in heaven. And so is seeking wealth and status and success and all of the things in this world that glitter and soon turn to rust and to dust that fade and go away. If you seek your happiness that way, in those ways, it never ends. It never ends. So, of course, we come to this passage, and what do we instantly want to do? We want to take it and use it to serve all of those other ends that Jesus has spent this entire sermon saying, not going to work, not going to make you happy. That's not what this is about. We use it to mean 
to make Jesus mean, well, you, actually, I've said all these things, but you can actually have whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. The Apostle James was in the crowd that day when this sermon was preached. He understands exactly what goes on in our hearts when it comes to prayer. He understands the way that we think deeply. And so in James 4, he says this. It's going to sound like the kind of thing that Jesus has been saying all the time. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You cut and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, we all spend a lot of time not asking, and then when we ask, we ask for snakes and stones instead of fish and bread, instead of good things. So, of course, God says no. Of course, God says no, because he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. So, what's going on in this passage? For real, enough of what it's not about. What's happening? Why does Jesus tell us to ask? What do you know about somebody who needs to ask? Someone who needs to ask is needy. Exactly. Someone who needs to ask is needy. So we should all obviously be feeling needy at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because that's what Jesus assumes about us, is that at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, we feel really needy. Why is that? Why should we feel needy at this point in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, think back on everything that we've studied for months. I know all of us haven't been here for months, but just think back on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has told us that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he has spent the last couple chapters telling us what that means and what that looks like. He's explained to us what it means to be a true disciple, a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you think back over everything we've talked about for the last couple of months. How does that feel? feels heavy. It feels like a lot. I mean, just think. Oh, you're angry in your heart? You're guilty of murder. Y'all been guilty of murder this morning? Just me? Right? Right? Okay. So that, that was, we talked about that in September or October, whenever that was, right? Y'all aren't cured yet? Lust, better to cut off your hand, gouge out your eyes. I see a lot of hands and eyes out here. Everybody must be cured. Yay! <laughs> right? This is hard stuff. This is heavy stuff. And, and Jesus lays it on, right? And if all, all that were, 
You, you know, he concludes that passage about our passions, all the things inside of us, with you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> Y'all got that? Jesus is like boxing us into a corner, right? There's no escape. Every passion of our hearts he deals with, okay? Now he's like addressed the passions of our heart. And then he's like, and now you're going to try to take that and perform your righteousness for other people because real heart righteousness, that's hard. So you're going to want to stand over here and be like, man, I'm just going to have fake righteousness where I pray on the streets and I give a lot of money and... You know, I fast and I do all the things. And he cuts us off there too, and he takes that away, right? He's like, nope, that's not going to fly either, right? Oh, I can't deal with my lust. Oh, I can't deal with my anger. Oh, I want my vengeance. Oh, I just can't handle that. Okay, I'm just going to pretend to be right. Nope, Jesus says no. Not going to fly. Okay, well, maybe I'll just retreat into like things and stuff. And Nope, not going to fly. You can't serve two masters. It's God or it's money. It's not both. Oh, but that makes me afraid. No, you, you don't get to be afraid. You don't, you, and you don't have to. God's a good father. That's the whole point. You don't need yourself. You don't need your self-righteousness. You don't need to be self-preserving. He takes care of you. You have to trust him. Then last week, okay, I know what I'll do. The last refuge of my heart is I'm going to take all of this teaching and I'm going to use it as a hammer to judge everybody else so that I don't have to judge myself and deal with myself first, right? I'm just going to take it all. I'm going to get it down. I'm going to learn the lingo. I'm going to learn discernment and how to see this stuff. I'm going to apply it to everybody else but myself first. Jesus is like, nope, can't do that. That's not going to go well. That's just being the scribes and the Pharisees. That's not righteousness that exceeds them. That's, that is their righteousness. Don't be that. Yeah, you have to apply these things to other people, but only after you've applied it to yourself first with humility. Oh, then I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go light myself on fire and like go get martyred somewhere, right? I'm just going to have some cathartic blow-up experience because like, I can't handle any of this stuff. It's just so hard. I'm going to go to what Jesus calls the dogs and the pigs so that they'll put it to me and I can get all of my work done and just one, you know, they'll just beat me up so that I don't have to beat myself up. Jesus says, no, you can't do that either. <laughs> you have to deal with yourself. You have to deal with all these things inside of you in all the ways that you're tempted to live like God's not God and he's not a good father who loves and takes care of you. And so he's finally, he's cut our legs out from underneath us and that's how we should feel. <laughs> like our legs have been cut out from underneath us. And it's, we just have to reckon with real righteousness. We have to be for real. Like that's it, that's what it comes to. That's hard. Dealing with your anger, dealing with your lust, dealing with other people, dealing with all the ways you're tempted to be self-righteous, to put on a show, to not deal with your own heart and your own problems. So then, Jesus comes and says, 
All right. Now that the last leg is kicked out from underneath you. Ask. Ask. Just ask. I didn't kick your legs out from underneath you to leave you high and dry and stranded. I took the legs out from underneath you so that you would fall on God, the Father, who loves you and cares for you and who wants you to change and to grow. Who wants all these things for you and wants you to want them too. Ask, seek, knock. Beggar words for beggars. Which brings us just full circle in the Sermon on the Mount, back to the very, very beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the beggar, the spiritual beggars who recognize we don't have it. Not in ourselves. We need help. Jesus stoops back at that point, back to his needs and reasons with us. He expects us to be weak here. To be timid, to be afraid. Because he knew that temptation too, right? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. He knows, he expects you to feel the weight and to feel your weakness, and to feel your sinfulness, and to feel timid and afraid. And he argues. He gives you a reason. He helps you. He says, now li- listen, listen. I know you're evil. You know you're evil. We all know that we are all terrible, right? Not we. This is Jesus talking. He says you for a reason. He doesn't say we, right? But me, we all know that we, we, we don't measure up here, Right? We all know that this is hard. Okay. Evil as you are. Which one of you, when your son asks for bread, gives him a stone? Evil as you are, weak as you are, when your son asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. Right? You're messed up. You still know how to give good gifts to your children as messed up as you are. Even the worst fathers give good gifts to their children some other time. Your earthly father may have been truly evil. He may have been pretty great. Whatever he is, he's not God. And he has shaped the way that you think about God for good and for bad. But God is the Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name. He's the perfect Father, and He loves His children perfectly. And so if you belong to Him, if you're one of His children, you come and you ask, and you seek, and you knock, and then you receive, and you find And the door is open. So what keeps you from coming? 
What keeps you from coming to God and asking? What keeps you from knocking? Is it pride? We all know the kid. We've all been the kid. We've all had the kid, whatever. The kid who is, no, I do it, right? No, I do it. I do it myself. And we want our kids to be self-sufficient, right? There's a certain pride we take when our kids are like, I'll do it. But also there are times when our kids are just being stubborn and willful and saying, I'll do it. It's like, buddy, you're three, and that's a full gallon jug of milk. I do it means milk everywhere. No, you don't do it. (laughs) Right? No, you don't. You don't do it. You need help. You need to be humble enough to admit you need help. How about fear and timidity and unbelief? They keep you from coming to God? Do you have a hard time believing that God loves you and wants good things for you? Are you tempted to think he wants bad things for you, that he doesn't care? All kids are that way, actually. All kids need help trusting their parents, even infants. Tiny babies, you have to work to help them trust that you're actually going to feed them and take care of them, right? Get so weak and afraid and hungry. Every child, every baby, every toddler, no matter how old, will run your house through his fears and wants if you let them. Your job, like God the Father, is to teach him, no, actually that's not how it works. I'm here. I love you. I will take care of I will give you every good thing. And then your kid comes and it's like, you'll give me every good thing? I want a snake. And then you're like, no, you can't have a snake. It's not a good thing. And they're like, you don't love me. Right? I can't trust you. You won't give me a snake. You're like, no, kid. That's not how this works. You don't want a snake. Trust me. You want fish. No, I want a snake. We're just like little kids with God. And our kids are just like us. And so part of this is, hey, Dads, moms, what are you teaching your kids about God the Father? Are you generous as he's generous? Are you as willing to give a fish as he is? Are you as willing to say no to a serpent as he is? This passage is a passage that not a lot of people in the world I inhabit want to preach on. Because it's about the generosity of God and it's so abused. And so even, like, I have this volume of sermons by this guy, Martin Lloyd-Jones, on the Sermon on the Mount. And on every passage, he has, like, four or five sermons. Like, every one of my sermons, he has, like, four or five, right? And then you come to this one, one, and moving on, right? And that's, like, everybody. Everybody. But, you know, one thing I did find is that everyone assumes that here we come to God weak and timid and afraid 
And no one thinks that that's bad. No one thinks that Jesus is teaching us to come to God without some fear. The weakness and the timidity is real and it's just. It's to come anyway. It's to come anyway. To come boldly. Jesus wants us in the midst of our weakness and our fear to come to God who is perfect and trust that he wants what's best for us. That he wants all of the things in the Sermon on the Mount for us. So, come to the Father and ask and seek and knock. Remember that You're a pretty bad father, and you still manage to give good gifts to your kids, right? Or a pretty bad mom. Whatever. He's not. He's perfect, and he loves you perfectly. And he may say no to your parents getting back together or raising your brother from the dead or giving you a unicorn or a dolphin or a narwhal if you try to put it both together. But that's because he knows what is actually good for you. And then be like him. Be like him with your kids. Teach them how God really is. Give good gifts to your kids. Let's pray. Father, we are weak and afraid. And we feel the weight of living a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We feel the difficulty of dealing with our own hearts before you. We see the anger and the lust and the lies and the desire for vengeance and the desire to be praised by people and the desire to just have stuff and be secure all the time. And we can't deal with ourselves without your help. And you've promised to give it to us. So would you, this morning, help us to grow in godliness and die to our sin and to ourself so that we can live to you and so that we can find in this life and in the life to come true blessedness. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.